Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Today, we have a really great interview with a dietitian who focuses on body positivity for runners. We have Starla Garcia, who is the owner of The Healthy Shine. You may have seen her on Instagram as Starla Shines. She qualified in 2020 for the Olympic trials, and she really advocates for body positivity within the runner community. And she talks a lot on this podcast about her own struggles with body positivity and eating disorder. So I do want to mention that this could be triggering for anyone who has dealt with an eating disorder because we really get into things in this conversation. She was an open book and I was so happy she was willing to share her story. She talked about navigating diet culture with when working with athletes, um, the biggest mistakes that she sees runners make, how she is a BIPOC runner and how she really advocates for cultural diversity within the runner community. And then of course, talking about her own eating disorder story and how she works with runners with eating disorders. Before we dive into that chat, I'm going to remind you to make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode, rate the podcast and review it. It really helps me get this out to more people. I'm always here interviewing really interesting people for you, having what I think are great chats. So if you give hopefully five stars, then more people get to see this podcast in front of them. And I really appreciate it. And then I'm always happy to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Greenleats or send me an email podcast at greenleats.com to tell me what you want to hear about, guests you want to see, feedback about the show. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. So we will dive into the chat with Starla right now. Hey, Starla. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me be a part of today. I'm so excited to meet you and to connect and and um, hop into this conversation. I am really excited to meet you too. I think everything that you've been doing is so awesome. And I just want to start by kind of giving listeners an overview of you and kind of like your career and how you got to where you are. And I know you ran in college and you're an Olympic uh you were in the Olympic trials, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I ran in college at University of Houston. Um, I was there from 2008 to 2013, which it feels like so short of a time ago, but I guess like coming up on almost 10 years now since I left collegiate racing. And shortly after that, I uh, quote unquote um, retired from racing. And then a month later, the Houston Marathon opened up in June. And I thought, well, I guess my retirement is very short lived. And I quickly signed up. So I finished collegiate racing in May. And then I signed up for the marathon in June. So I ran my first marathon in January of 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, And then I was in the Olympic trials the last February. So February, 2020. Yeah. So my gosh. So you ran your first marathon just basically six or seven years ago, and then you qualified for the Olympic trials. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a very fun experience for me. I think I just really wanted to get away from all of the grinding that I did in college around racing and, you know, being on the track. And I was just always so fascinated from the time that I saw Dina Castor racing the marathon in the Olympics. I always wondered what that would be like and what that experience would give me. 
Um, so maybe not like in the Olympics per se, but I always just wondered like, like, could I do that? How does that feel? I want to be able to experience something very similar. Um, and I just, you know, quickly signed up and I was just searching for a new experience for myself. Cause I, and I think I'm just like a person that's based off of experience. A lot of the time where I had experienced what really fast things felt like on the track and what that was like and what collegiate running was like. And then I just started to really think about, you know, what would it feel like to finish a marathon? My gosh, you're such a badass. I love it. <laughs> and I know you said also, or on your website, it says you also were studying nutrition while you were a collegiate runner, right? Yes, I was. So um, at University of Houston, um, I wanted to actually um, be a doctor. I wanted to go to med school and do all those things. Um, but when I got there, I just felt like, um, for one, I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome when I was there. Um, I think also just feeling like I didn't fit in anywhere. It just like was really hard to find my place. And then I started to think about like what kind of role running had in my life and um, and what did I want it to be like or what did I want the relationship to be like? And, and I think just deep down, I felt, you know, maybe this is not where I'm supposed to go. Um, and I remember sitting in the academic advisor's office and the athletic department at University of Houston actually has their own academic advisors, which I think most um, NCAA um, programs do now. But um, at University of Houston, they have we have our own. And I sat down with her and I asked her about different options for myself because I just felt like I wasn't going to succeed or that I couldn't. And it's really interesting that I felt that about where I was going at that time when I was a freshman. And I remember like into the spring semester, I quickly switched majors over to nutrition. And she was like, well, you know, if you ever wanted to pursue med school or professional school again, um, this would be a great option for you to pursue that anyway. Like it'll set you up to be able to have some, some pivots if you need them. And I was like, okay, sure. So I started studying nutrition. Um, you know, it was in a very selfish way that I started to want to um, also study nutrition because I was wanting to think about ways that I could stay thin and also perform well. And, you know, all the things that we think about nutrition is supposed to give us as a runner, like to make us be thinner or to keep us thin or to prevent our bodies from changing. Um, and that was where I was at at that point with my relationship with food and exercise too. So I think what had happened at that time too, that uh, many people don't know is I actually had disordered eating at the time as well. So I had disordered eating um, that had started when I was in high school and then it developed into an eating disorder um, later on in, in my collegiate career. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot about that kind of your bo body image issues and things like mm -hmm. that on your Instagram and intuitive eating, which is what I really like about you because you mm -hmm. live in this runner space, but you're also talking about these issues that a lot of runners face. So was there a time that you felt like you recovered or was there a kind of an aha moment that you realized that this was an issue and you could really figure out your nutrition and move forward and help other runners? You know, that's a great question. I think it was all a progressive thing that had happened. Um, I knew, I didn't know that it was a problem, which was really interesting. Like when I was in high school, like I didn't know that it was not normal to 
um, like be a runner and not have your period. Um, and so I didn't tell anybody, um, that I had lost my period. I just kind of kept it to myself. Um, and that was not something that I was vocalizing to my parents either. Um, it might have been like my Hispanic background that kind of played into that, my Mexican culture where, um, maybe we just don't, don't really talk about stuff like that. Um, but, at that time, I, I honestly did not know. I went into it very innocently because um, I just wanted to be a better runner and I wanted to fit in. Um, and I think one of the things that started to, to really, I think, come into my view was one time my coach was telling us, like he was telling the women's team, if you ever lose your period, you need to tell me. Um, and you know, being a people pleaser as well, a recovering people pleaser is what I like to call myself is um, I, I still wanted to run really well in college. And, and I think I got like a little bit of a taste of that in my freshman year. And so I think probably midway through um, I had informed my coach after he had told us that, that I had lost my period and I hadn't had it in X amount of years by that point. I can't remember how many years, maybe like two years. And he was like, okay, well, you know, maybe we do need to back off mileage. And so we actually do it started to do more cross training. And I think he was aware and just kind of keeping an eye on me, but you know, he could only, I think, suspect so much was happening because I was still running really well. And that's kind of the caveat of um, the female athlete tryout or reds is like, you do have a little bit of performance um, improvements happen, but eventually you plateau. And I was one of those athletes that had a fantastic freshman year. I went to USA junior. So nobody could really like say what was going on. And I didn't even know what was going on. But um, eventually what had happened was, um, I had gotten really, really, I had lost a lot of weight after my freshman summer. So between my freshman and summer, my freshman and sophomore year, I had gone to USA juniors, competed in the 5,000 meter. And I was the only woman of color lined up that day. And I just felt so defeated lining up like, um, and now I can get a lot of like power and strength from, from being, from being like a sometimes the only woman of color, I can view it a lot differently. But at that time I was so young um, and impressionable that I just felt like, like, man, I'm never going to fit in here. Like there's nobody else like me here um, right now, um, which there probably was, but maybe not in that particular race. And so it just felt very lonely at the starting line. And I remember just thinking like, if I could just look like everybody else, maybe I would be a better runner. Maybe I would fit in more um, or maybe I would just, feel much better about myself. Um, and so after that moment, after that race, I actually fell very deeply into my eating disorder. Um, and it was, I think maybe, I remember my coach um, after a track workout, um, he called me into his office and one of my teammates told on me about it, about me throwing away muscle milk um, that he had given everybody for recovery for really good purposes. Um, and I, he told me that my teammate had, had told on me and he got very, very concerned. And he was like, you are not the same Starla that started last year. You are very different. You're very angry, irritable, not nice. Um, you're not being a good teammate. You're isolating yourself. So all of the behavior, the behaviors that we see in eating disorders today, those are the things that I was displaying a lot of 
just like lack of patience, just not being very nice at all, which is um, not in my nature, I hope. Um, but those were the things that were happening. And so um, I just feel like a really big wave of relief as well, because I had somebody looking out for me. And I think my other teammate was also looking out for me. And that's when I actually like came clean. Um, like I was like seen um, by that point, because it was just kind of getting to be too much. And it was just too much to carry at that point. So he had gave me an ultimatum of, you know, you are going to go into treatment or I'm going to kick you off the team. Um, and I couldn't go back. I couldn't bail. So I went into treatment right after that. And when I say treatment, um, for at that time for me, it was, I was working with a dietitian and I would started to see a psychologist, um, on campus that specialized in eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I want to give that coach a medal, to be honest, I, because I've heard so many stories just from people I've interviewed. And then of course, from other people of a coach who said, okay, you all need to be this weight or you all, no one can eat sugar or this, like just all these crazy things. And I love that that coach was first off just saying like, come to me if you don't have a period. And then second, recognizing that you had something you had to deal with and really got you into recovery. That's incredible. Like an incredible story. I love that. I was so lucky. I think like I had such an incredible support system, support system at University of Houston. At that time, I had a lot of um, really great adults that were just watching over me. Um, I couldn't have picked a better place. And, and it's funny that I say this to have an eating disorder of, as, a, yeah. as an athlete. But yeah, I just got very lucky. And um, I still competed. Um, but it was like, I had to, I had to check off a lot of things to be able to have that, that permission. Um, and I was like willing to do whatever it took, um, to compete. Like I could not fail. Um, because if I failed, I'd go back home and I'm from a border town. Um, so I'm not originally from Houston. Um, I'm born and raised in a border town. Um, so to go back, I was just kind of like, there's nothing there for me. Like I would waste away and I don't know if I would live. So I actually was like, I, I have to, I have to stick this out. I have to get better. So I, I think one of the biggest turning points too was, um, like there was one time where, um, I went out with friends that I was visiting, um, back home and I, I was looking around at the end of the night. Um, and I was like 21 and I was out with my friends and I was like, everybody has changed. Everybody has had different experiences. And I just have this one, like, what a shame, what a waste. Um, and it was not a good feeling to stay behind like that. Like for somebody who is so competitive and always wanted to get ahead, I saw that my eating disorder was keeping me from living a real life that I wanted and it was no longer serving me. So I remember the next day, literally waking up um, and like, committing a hundred percent to recovery. Um, and, and like at that time, a lot of people actually don't know that I actually had, um, over a little bit of over-exercising happening, um, restrictive behaviors and also, um, some purging happening as well. Um, not in like, I would say the purging through like, um, induced vomiting, but laxative use. So I actually like threw away like the laxative pills and then I, hundred percent committed to recovery after that. Um, and I just like, and I was really struggling at that time too, with not just like, um, body, body changes. Cause I was like 
now restoring my body. I was in that phase, but I was just not a hundred percent there yet. Like I was like, okay, like my body is changing. Everything's supposed to be better now. And it was like, no, it's, it doesn't work that way. Um, and then I remember just like being like, all right, like this is the thing that's keeping me behind. I need to a hundred percent commit now. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing the story. It's, it's really inspirational. And it's also interesting because if you fast forward now, what you're doing is essentially helping runners navigate diet culture, which I think is so great because I mean, we're seeing, especially with the rise of social media, there's so many, you know, fad diets out there. And then there's also runners who are scared of carbs and things like that. So kind of, how do you work with runners to, you know, ditch the diets? That's a great question. Um, I think a lot of the time, what I like to do with my clients is really help them challenge those beliefs too. And I think this is where like a lot of the evidence, evidence-based practices that help us as dietitians, like I think really bringing it down to the client level and explaining a little bit more and like really unpacking their fears um, around these foods and like, where did we first hear it? Like, um, I think really getting down to even the history of like where dieting began for that person, I think that's been really helpful. And I think transformative for a lot of my clients uh, that have had a lot of um, diet beliefs and a lot of fears around foods and just moving them forward from that um, and sitting with them. I think a lot of times clients think it's going to be a quick fix. Like I initially thought too, um, but it's, it's not, it's not a quick fix. Um, especially if you're somebody that wants to be a lifelong athlete, like this is like the same way that your athletic journey is going to be a lifetime. Like, you know, you're going to be on a journey with yourself around food and your energy and how you feel in your body. And because we're aging, like we can't change that either. And that's a beautiful process that I think many people try to push off, but it's a beautiful process that I think more runners need to be open and embrace a little with more grace. I think it's also difficult at times too, because runners want rules, right? Like a lot of times runners have these mentalities of like, I just tell me what to eat when I want to know when to hydrate, how many uh, ounces to drink, that kind of thing. And it's difficult because I've actually written articles about intuitive eating and I've, and I've interviewed other people about it. And it's something that I still struggle to really explain because of that, because they, they do want these rules. So it's almost like, how do you balance that when you're, when you're talking to people who ask those kinds of questions? Yeah, I think it's helpful to give people recommendations. And that's the way I frame it as like, this is the recommendation, right? Like we're looking at this as a recommendation to help you fuel your body, to help you hydrate it. Even when we're looking at fueling during long runs or races, like these are the recommendations, right? You're going to have 30 to 90 grams of carb, for example. Now, can we use something like you have learned in the past and really use it to our advantage? Like what are the things and the skills that you have learned um, or what do you know about yourself that we need to 
used to our advantage, right? So I actually have a client right now who's doing his first 50 miler and he's a calorie counter and he likes to think about his calories as a budget, which I find really interesting because I used to kind of think like that too. And so he'll restrict and he used to restrict in the first half of a day and the half of the day. And then he would, um, I find himself binging on foods later on in the day. And so we improved that overall daily nutrition um, to help him really think, move forward. And he didn't like the way that he felt whenever he was binging. Right. And this is a, a white male. So it's not just like white women. Like I see this also in a white male. Um, and with this client, I encouraged him cause he wanted control. He wanted roles. And so I encouraged him like, you know how to diet. I know you do. I was like, so do I like, um, I know how to do that. Like, that's probably one of the, 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 the biggest skill sets that I have. I have that history. I know how to get control back, but when we're now, now that we're working together, let's use that skill set that you have of calorie counting or grams of carb counting. Let's actually pivot that over into your fueling strategy. Like, like, so that way you have control and you can, I was like, and you're probably running numbers in your head anyway, when you're running, let's actually use that to your advantage whenever you are running, because that's going to be your biggest, um, chance to get a PR, right? You're going to feel so much better when you're going to take the higher amount. Like let's actually shoot for more of like the 50 plus now versus like just the 30, cause you're scraping by and let's, you know, track what's going on. And let's track your energy levels and your pace and how you're feeling during the run. Like, let's track those things now for you. And let's not track the other things anymore because that's not serving you. This is going to serve you. That's actually, I was just, the next question I was going to ask is if people are not tracking calories, how do they tell if they're under fueling? I know you mentioned before you're losing your period, (laughs) but like for men, how do you, how do you tell if you're not eating enough? Yeah. So this particular client, um, he was vocalizing that he was losing, um, like he was experiencing signs of REDS. Um, and he did not like that either. Like his testosterone was lower, his productivity was lower as well at work. And this is a full-time attorney as well that I'm working with. And, you know, he has to build hours right now. Like he, he has to write that as part of his job too. Um, and so he's like, I can't concentrate on work and, you know, the type of work or the law that he's doing and all lawyers, right. They have to apply a hundred percent of their attention to every single word and sentence, right. Cause it can be inferred in different way. So his attention has to be like spot on all the time. Um, and so if he's thinking about the granola in the pantry, that's removing him from a very important um, case, right. That he now has to spend more time on to build the amount. Right. So like, and, and I think that was one of the biggest things that he was struggling with. He was also getting a lot of fractures, injuries, um, and just like, couldn't carry the, the load that he was wanting to do to get to the 50 miler. Um, and he had self-diagnosed himself too with REDS. And so, um, it was really interesting when I first met him because, he was very unsure about intuitive eating. Like he described it as loathing um, the intuitive eating workbook so much, um, which I can understand for a lot of people. 
But when we really peeled back a lot of the layers too, it was, he was afraid of, of, of losing control because in the past he had experienced a lot of binging behavior since he was a kid. And so um, calorie counting gave him control, but then it always reminded him that whenever he would binge, it would always remind him of how out of control he used to feel. And so he did not like that. And so whenever like we discussed and like really moved, tried to move him forward or whenever he hits a roadblock, I'm always like, yeah, like it's okay to want to be thin, but the thin that you're striving for as well. And like the type of body you're asking me for is giving you reds and it's making you binge. I was like, I can't do that to you. I was like, nor do you actually want that either. And he's like, oh yeah, you're right, Starla. So, and then he just like cracks up about, he's like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I can't go there anymore. Like I have to move forward. Um, And so he's a pretty logical person, but yeah, I think, yeah, he's just like one of probably one of my most favorite and complex clients right now to work with. I also think people don't realize that food affects how they feel, which is really a simple, you know, yeah. thought process, but people don't always realize, like, like you said, like yeah. you're not eating enough, you're working and you're thinking about granola because you didn't eat enough. So yeah. it's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's just really food does affect how you feel throughout the day. Yeah. It can really remove you from like the present, like your present life and like fully fulfilling. And it sounds so cliche and like, um, very like, fantasy like but I've been in that place too where I all I could think about was what I was going to eat like I had a folder full of recipes like I did all of that and I don't remember anything else of my collegiate experience because of that and that's like pretty disheartening yeah for sure and I also think when it comes to intuitive eating the word that I think trips a lot of people up is intuitive because when it when it comes to athletes, you think of intuitive as just listening to your body and letting your body decide, mm-hmm. but that's not always necessarily the case from what I've yeah. understood. It's kind of like planning ahead is embraced within this intuitive eating, you know, planning your fueling out and kind of listening to when you need fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just freestyle everything as an athlete either. Um, and that's not, I think what most dietitians are saying, including myself, like, um, I think having an awareness of when you need to plan is really helpful for a lot of runners and a lot of endurance athletes. But I think when we take a step back and we're trying to assess if something is intuitive or not, um, I always like to think about it in terms of, is it coming from a self-care place or is it coming from a self-control place? Because then we need to reevaluate that. I like that. That's really, that's a really good way of phrasing it. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. I like that. Do you see a lot of runners with GI issues? How do you deal with GI issues with runners? That's something I hear all the time. Oh yes. Um, I, I, I think, um, dietitians, we are, I think across the board, we have strong stomachs because we hear a lot about GI issues. Um, (laughs) we heard everything. So Um, I think with GI issues, the first thing I always look at is number one, is the person eating enough? 
Um, and are there any conditions that could be exacerbating the GI issue, right? Um, like if there's celiac or if there is um, IBS, Crohn's, things like that, I'm going to look at those first and assess. Um, and then is the person eating enough? Because um, sometimes people will first cut out a bunch of things, but then they're not even, they're still under fueling. And so I think under fueling, fixing that problem first needs to happen. And that's where daily nutrition comes in because a lot of athletes are like, I just want help with fueling. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to look at what's happening like across the board. What's the bigger picture that's happening? Because I can put a Band-Aid on the fueling, no problem. But if I can improve the daily nutrition, that's going to be much better for you in the long run because you're going to be a much stronger runner for years to come, not just in this one race. Yeah. I, uh, going back to what you said before, I literally have DMS people DMing me about their bowel movement. So that is something that I hear about all the time and they're always embarrassed. And I always, I'm saying it's, it's something that dietitians hear about. And if you were a dietitian who worked in a hospital, it'd be something you would ask people about on a daily basis. So don't be embarrassed if you have GI issues and you want to talk about your bowel movements. Yeah. Uh, we're totally into it and we're here to help. And, uh, I know within my own space, since I deal with a lot of plant-based people, a lot of plant foods have a lot more fiber. So that mm -hmm. is something that you have to think about and kind of regulate in terms of eating before your run. Yeah, exactly. So I think like fiber is a big one that athletes also overlook. And I think um, hydration is a big one, right? If people are having issues on the run, sometimes the quick fix is, are you hydrating before you go on a run? So that may that way, maybe we can stimulate a bowel movement before you go. And are you giving yourself enough time to relax as well before you go on a run? Or are you just like rushing out the door? Like, can we wake up a little bit earlier, even if it is 10 to 15 minutes? Like, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think we're in a culture that's just like, go, go, go all the time. And maybe people do need a little bit more time before their runs too. Yeah. I think hydration is the easiest thing to really fix. I always say that to people. It's literally just drinking water. It's not, it's so easy, but a lot of people are not doing it nearly enough. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think too, when people start hydrating enough on a daily basis, they notice they have more frequent bowel movements. Um, and that concerns them, which I also find interesting. I don't know if you've experienced that too, where people are like I'm having more than one bowel movement. Is that normal? No, like, I have heard that people say that as well. And I'm always like, everyone is different. It's not just, I mean, I guess, cause it's not something we talk about normally. Yeah. People don't talk about their bowel movements, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. So if you could say, is there one nutrition related kind of mistake that you see a lot of runners making? I think I know what you're going to say, but <laughs> I'm going to let you answer anyway. Um, I'd say the number one thing that I think people do. And I thought about this question actually, because you did send me the questions, um, is definitely under eating. Um, but I think the that's main, what I thought you were going to say, <laughs> you know, like, just, like, wondering if they're eating too much. I'm like, if you're hungry, like you probably should eat. If your mileage is increasing, your intensity is increasing. Um, you should probably like eat eat something, right? Because your body's needing more nourishment. And I think there's a difference between eating healthy and nourishing your body too. Um, 
as well. And the other thing I also was thinking about was just a lot of comparison across the board. Like, I think that is a struggle a lot of runners had. And I think that could actually be the overarching reason some people do under eat because they compare their plates to everybody else's. And they're like, well, I'm eating more than that person. So therefore I am incorrect. And that's why I'm not healthy or that's why I'm not running as well as they are. And it's like, no, everybody's body's just differently, just works differently and needs a different volume or different kinds of nutrients to feel its best. And that's okay. Um, and I, I think a lot of it is comparison, whether it's plate, body, or time comparison. I like that. And I, I like what you're talk about everyone's different, which makes me think of something that you address a lot on your social media, which is diversity. And you brought it up before you at a race, you were the only person who looked different and that made you feel uncomfortable. So now you talk about that. And, and I really, really appreciate everything you've been saying about it. So one question I had for you is how can white runners support and be allies to BIPOC runners? I think this is, there's a lot of layers to this one, but I think I think just I because I've I've experienced my share of um, feeling isolated in the community, even as like a runner that wants to be part of the community. Um, I think I think what really helps here is like being invited, like invite your person of color, like to do things even outside of a run right? If you are doing things like that with, with other people right now, I think it's a really good way to get to know them and vice versa. Um, I think it's also really helpful to um, like ask them what is catching their interest too. Cause I think, I don't think that goes around enough either. And I think a lot of conversations can be very blanket. And sometimes even in my own experiences, I have felt that conversations remain surface level. Not that I have to have a deep conversation all the time, but I think just not really understanding like that conversations do change between um, people of color and white runners. Um, I think it's really important to really ask questions beyond running too. And I think just like inherently wanting to understand and talk to them about their interests as well. Um, because that's how we learn about other people. And I think that's how you make a meaningful and lasting relationships and friendships, especially if you are a runner that wants to make friends with other people that wants to have a diverse um, running group of friends too. So I think it is important to do that. Um, I think it's also really important for white runners to be allies of BIPOC runners too, because not only are you making space for more diversity, like cultural diversity and ethnic diversity, but I think also body diversity, like it benefits white runners as well, because there are more diverse bodies happening on the starting line and in your community. And it can actually really add to your health as well. I also think we in the sports nutrition realm don't really talk enough about cultural foods. Do you, do you agree with that? Yes. Um, I, I, and it's, it's, it's a part of sports nutrition that I think is so 
already embedded into it and nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really astounding to me, or I think like, like I, I really, really wish sometimes more cookbooks would talk about the origin of these specific foods. Cause I think it could really enrich the reader experience. And I think really communicate that cultural foods have belonged in distance running for a very long time. Um, like corn, for example, like Jamie can, I know you have a super stretch of corn. Can we talk about like the origin of corn somewhere? Yeah. I mean, and they also are great fueling mechanisms. Plantains, for instance, (laughs) super starchy, delicious, sweet. I think, I mean, and that's what I like about people like you, you're out there putting this kind of messaging out there. Cause I think in the past, you know, sometimes being a white runner myself, I don't necessarily know if what I'm saying is right in a way. So sometimes you get scared Mm -hmm. to say anything. Um, So I think it's good to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, too, as like first and foremost, a person of color, runner and then dietitian, um, I think it's like, I think when I realized that my cultural foods belong, like in my diet as a runner, it really opened up my eyes to like, how, how my experience as a runner was across the board. And like, what did I want it to be from now on? And like, understanding my body too. like, there's a rich Mexican history of running, like in, like, even like with the New York City Marathon, like, you know, like, like there, I think like a lot of people also don't understand, like for a very long time, Latin American and Hispanic ultra and marathon runners were dominating for a very long time. And I, I think it's, I think it's just like, if we looked at their diet, I think it could be really fascinating. Um, I think also, I mean, I was really excited when Andrea Limon um, did really well at the marathon project. And, and then I saw her crush as well, the miles of trials racing, um, the, the track races that happened. Like I was very excited to see more um, Hispanic athletes out there, like just doing what they, what we've always done. Well, Starla, I think you should write that book, <laughs> write the cookbook. I would read it. I would use it. I mean, why not? <laughs> Maybe in a couple of years, it's a, it's a long time dream of mine. And I've, um, I will say I've sat down with grandma quite a bit over the last couple months. That's awesome. Um, yeah. When it comes out in a few years, I'll buy it and I'll promote it. <laughs> All right. Last question for you. What do you wish you could go back and tell your younger runner self? Oh my gosh, this is, I think not compare, like across the board, just don't compare yourself. I think, I think that would probably be number one. And it's funny that I would, I think that more than like anything about the food. Cause I think it was really more about the comparison more than anything of why I didn't feel like I belonged initially. I think had I not been comparing, I would have been able to see more of like the the long-term me um a lot sooner um but yeah I, I mean I don't I think that would probably be the main thing I would just say was like don't compare like just focus on like what you have and like harness your power a lot sooner yeah like staying in your power 
I like that you just said it's not about the food because I say that to people all the time. It's funny because nutrition is almost never about the food. Of course it is, you know, certain foods are healthier and whatever, but it's so much about almost the behavior behind the eating choices. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I think it's not about the food most of the time that I'm finding like I'm here as like a support system and somebody to guide an athlete. And many times like I have... I have athletes that are, have come, have come to me for several reasons for support during the pandemic. Um, it was also really interesting because I got a lot of runners with, with, um, who were in recovery from an eating disorder as well, which I think has probably been one of the most eye-opening things for me as a provider. Um, yeah, I, cause I remember like going through my eating disorder and first entering recovery and really wondering like, where was my community at? Like, where were we, where were we, where were the people in recovery? Like, where were we hiding almost? And lo and behold, it was in the running community. Yeah. And I'm sure that the pandemic has brought out a lot of, you know, people are at home and they have to deal with they have to face things. I'm sure it's brought out people admitting that they have eating disorders and coming to you. And I think that that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been the most astounding, but also I think it's also been probably just like really big full circle moments. A lot of the time, um, like really like, Oh wow. Like these were the people I was asking for all these years. That's great. I love it. You found a community during and good things have come out of this pandemic. I know not everyone's going to feel that way, but I think some good things have come out of this pandemic. I uh, agree. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's, um, I think more good. And I'm maybe I'm also very lucky to say that too. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's basically just whatever mindset you have, which mm-hmm. it seems like, I mean, you have an awesome positive one and that's why I wanted to have you on. And I appreciate everything you said and shared all your stories. It's been really inspirational and I know people are going to want to find more from you. So where can they follow you and visit your website and work with you? Yeah. So people can find me over on my Instagram, Starla underscore shines shines is on my last name. It is just a handle, which I, sometimes I wonder if maybe I should make it a part of my name. I don't know. Um, and that's also a joke, but, um, people can also go to my website. It's www.thehealthyshine.com. Um, and my practice is the healthy shine. Awesome. Yeah. I, I was telling Starla before we hopped on that I, in my head, she's Starla shines, even though her name's Starla Garcia. And I know that but it's her last name shines. Maybe that should be your no, new middle name, but anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining. This was awesome. No, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.